Hi, it's Danielle, one of your co-hosts of Birth Stories in Color. We want to share our deepest gratitude to you for honoring this platform and the community stories. Currently, we are in a campaign to raise funds to continue our work. Birth Stories in Color grew from a shared experience at a doulas of color training. We quickly realized that women of color felt liberated to speak their truth, and we wanted a space to honor the art of storytelling and the voices of families of color. We are Black women, Black mothers, and Black birth workers. Our ability to hold space for our storytellers comes from our direct experiences, understanding the layers of those experiences and how they may show up for our guests. Over the past six years, Birth Stories in Color has been predominantly self-funded with occasional sponsorship support. As we examine our future, we know that to help strengthen it, we must reach out for additional support. Funds raised from this campaign will support the cost of recording, producing, promoting, and transcribing Birth Stories in Color. The funds we raise will help us expand our reach as well as we begin to channel the work of the podcast to in-person opportunities to educate and inform families as they enter parenthood. You can find our campaign at ifundwomen.com. That's I-F-U-N-D-W-O-M-E-N.com. You can also find a link to our campaign on our Birth Stories in Color website at birthstoriesincolor.com. Thank you again. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Micah Thomas sharing how her planned home birth with midwives shifted to an induction at 38 weeks due to low amniotic fluid. We are grateful to hear her truth today. Hello, Micah. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you guys for having me. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes. Um, I'm 28 years old. I have a one-year-old daughter. Um, I'm recently in a master's program for Child and Family Studies, which will be finishing up here soon. I have my bachelor's in psychology from Tuskegee University. I st- So my focus when I, for my studies is studying um, how African-American women uh, develop support before, during, and after pregnancy, and also how they self-advocate for themselves. Um, And then I am starting up a stationary business pretty soon, and I'm just waiting for paperwork to get back so I can launch that. We are just excited about all your plans. I want to see the stationary, share it with our community. And Laurel and I are just really big on postpartum and building the village and all the things that come along with it because I mean mothering people need support right yes and I will say I found it because uh, we live away from family so I found it more difficult to try to gain that support and just have a really a really strong foundation to where she's taken care of but then we as her parents can also take care of ourselves so that's I would say that's been the biggest struggle so far Well, before we jump into talking about all the postpartum things, can you tell us a bit about your pregnancy? Yes. So um, during my pregnancy, I found out about, I found out about being pregnant the weekend after Mother's Day, I think. And um, the way I found out was because we went to, me and her dad, he wanted to go out to eat with his sister and her boyfriend and we went out to eat and the whole time we were waiting for our table he was just saying I was glowing and um something was different about me and he was like you're pregnant I know you are like you have to be because something is like it's just shifting and so 
I denied it. I was in denial. We ate. I ordered fish with mashed potatoes, and I had tartar sauce on the side, but I didn't know it was tartar sauce. I thought it was um, white gravy, and I put it on my mashed potatoes, and I was tearing those mashed potatoes up, and then um, he looked at me like really side eye, like you have the most weirdest cravings. He was like, you know that it's tartar sauce, right? And I'm like, no, it's not. It's um, gravy. And so we had to ask the waitress and everything like that. So once we left the restaurant, he was like, yeah, you're definitely pregnant because that is a weird combination to be eating. So I went to the uh, CVS, like right down the street from the house and I got a pregnancy test and I took the pregnancy test and I didn't say anything. And the pregnancy test came back positive and I'm like, okay, I'll wait in the morning because that's when, you know, you get the most accurate results. Waited in the morning, took the pregnancy test, came back positive again. So then I went to, um, I surprised him with like this big old whiteboard and it had like a poem on there with the ultra, like, I think I had an ultrasound in my pot, in my pregnancy test and the doctor's confirmation on there. And um, that's how I told him I was pregnant. And he was like in disbelief. <laughs> and during my whole pregnancy, um, I was sick. So I dealt with hyperemesis gravatum. So um, I was really like nauseous a lot, threw up a lot. I really couldn't work because of it, but also because I was in school too. So um, I decided that PRN would kind of be the best option for me during my pregnancy. Uh, I lost a ton of weight. Um, was borderline on dehydration, but I started to eat watermelon and they told me to drink insurers and stuff like that since I couldn't keep any liquids or foods down. And um, that was pretty much my pregnancy was being sick and trying to get ready for her. <laughs> I think people sleep on watermelon as a pregnancy superfood. Like it's actual nourishment. There's vitamins in there, but it's water. Yes. <laughs> All the hydration. <laughs> That's one of the things I really share that with people when they're pregnant. Like, have you tried some watermelon? And I'm not saying that that's the fix for everybody. Right. Because, I mean, that nausea and exhaustion of it, right? Mm -hmm. And trying to eat, knowing you're hungry, and knowing the consequences of eating is really kind of what keeps people from eating. Yeah, I have a love-hate for chicken now because chicken was the only meat that I really threw up. And so now... I still eat it, but I still have like that gag reflex of eating it. It's just like when I eat it, I'm like, mm, I want to throw it back up. So I try not to eat chicken too much, but I mean, I still love my chicken. So <laughs> I just deal right. with that. It's like a, with the it's like a form of PTSD. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I cannot eat the chicken. I'm sorry. <laughs> I eat it anyway, but I'm just like, the thought of it is just like, it's disgusting and I just it just brings up mm, the it's like that experience mm, yeah mm -hmm. so how did you prepare for your birth and was this something that you were thinking about throughout the pregnancy yes yeah, so I always wanted a home birth so um I kind of prepared myself mentally to go through that I did uh, parenting classes with the clinic that um, Gay actually gave me the confirmation they were hold, hosting parenting classes so I did the parenting classes um, I tried to prepare mentally as much as I could um, I gave myself a lot of grace during my pregnancy 
just due to the fact that I, I knew I was going to do a home birth, but also I was very sick. So I didn't know how that was going to work out with um, me being even able to do a home birth. Um, I made sure I surrounded myself with family, friends throughout my entire pregnancy. My mom came down twice. My grandma came down once with her. Um, I made sure that I tried to keep like his family involved also with the pregnancy. So like I talked to his sister a lot. She checked up on me a lot because we were kind of pregnant at the same time. And so um, that support right there really helped me mentally prepare for pregnancy. And I never wanted to do a hospital birth because I never wanted to be like just stuck to the bed or not being able to move around or walk around freely. So home birth was always in the back of my mind. I watched a lot of videos prior to giving birth. And, you know, I think I kind of scared myself because I was like, "Mm, I have to do this. She has to come out of there in that way. It may be a lot of screaming. It may not, it may not be. And I was just like, it's going to be okay though. Yes. It's going to be okay. I found a great midwife. We actually interviewed a doula and I think that traumatized us because then we were like, no to the doula because she was just like I can google stuff if I don't know the answers and stuff like that and we were just like well you know that's something that we can kind of do ourselves um so we were like no to doulas and I think that left a bad taste in our mouths in regards to getting a doula so we just stuck with the midwife and um our midwife was amazing she informed me with everything that was going on every medications that the baby may have to have um, during pregnancy and even after pregnancy shots. Um, She was very, when I say guides and handouts and everything, like she was on it. She let me know like what the baby looked like, how the baby was measuring um, movements and everything like that. I was really concerned about um, this pain in my side and pain in my hips when I walked. Um, And so she let me know that baby was just sitting really low for like, I think at four months I started having hip, like hip pains and stuff. And she was just letting me know that baby was sitting low, you know, already. So um, that's, that was the cause of some of my uh, pelvic pain. And she gave me tips on how to kind of like relieve that. Um, So preparing for my birth was really, I think I did a pretty good job for my first time. So on that part, I have no complaints with that. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you had a midwife that was both supportive and informative. What mm-hmm. state are you in, if you don't mind sharing? I'm in Tennessee. So right now I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, but I gave birth to her um, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. And do you know what the laws are regarding home birth in Tennessee? Like, I know I you had a midwife there, but is it? Okay. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm um, assuming it's like a home birth midwives, but you know, some are just like, are they um, like a professional midwife who wouldn't necessarily have to have like a doctor over them? But in some states, that is kind of like the thing. So I'm just curious. I wasn't like trying. To yeah, no, no, you're fine. Cause you I, like... I didn't even do that homework or that. <laughs> for them, for Tennessee, we had a couple different options, so we can have. There were options to where if we were in the hospital and we wanted um, a midwife, they had a hospital that provided both midwives and doctors to where it's kind of like the midwife can do the labor and stuff, but they're looked over by the doctors. And then 
um, we had some to where some midwives had their own, like their own practice and there were, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're private, but you know, they had their own setup and practice and some even had um, birthing centers and everything like that. So I think, it, I guess you could say it was like a, a option or a choice to have what kind of, what kind of, um, caregivers you wanted if you wanted midwives then you could still have that in the hospital as well so I thought that was a great option it sounds like a lot of good options in Tennessee it sounds like um there's choice right Mm -hmm. and I hate that you had that experience with that doula um she doesn't speak for all of us that you can't no. simply go into a space and say, I'll Google it. And she may have yeah. not experienced a home birth before, but I'm I'm glad that she was honest with the space of not knowing everything because none of us know yeah. everything, right? But right. I could see how and you it, could be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it made me like, like right now I'm, um, I'm going through the requirements to get certified for being a doula and I'm just like, you know, I don't know if it was just nerves. You know, she says she's been in it in the doula work for a long time. I think it was like 12 plus years. And so I don't know like how many African-American families she worked with or anything like that prior to. I guess that's something that we could have asked, but we really didn't. Um, so I don't know if it was just nerves or like, if she was just like, if that's just how she goes into interviews or, or what, but, um, yeah, really, we really like, was just like, you know, yeah, I don't know if I would want to do, I guess I would just, you know, skip to the midwife, but going through the process, I already knew what a doula did, but he didn't. So I wanted him to get that informed information from somebody who was doing it for a long time to make him feel comfortable. And it it backfired. It did not make him feel comfortable at all. He was like, no go to the doula. But I think um, his mind has changed seeing me go through my doula certifications and seeing like what a doula actually is there for because he was my guinea pig when I was trying different positions and how to, you know, make him feel better with pretend contractions and stuff like that. So he was like, oh, you're really good at this. Like people would love to have this, you know, while they're laboring and stuff like that. Because during my, during my labor, he was like a deer in the headlights. He didn't know what to do. And I'm like, see, this is why we should have kept looking for a doula. But at that time I was just like, just hold my hand and just, you know, Tell me it's going to be okay. It's like, I can do that. <laughs> I'm like, that's all I need. That's all I need. <laughs> well, it worked out, right? Um, yes. We're we're all here. It's all in the, in the fact that you've moved on to a space where you want to provide that support for someone else. That's happens a lot for a lot of doulas. Not every doula has had a child or given birth to um, a live child, but that's that's a part of the work usually comes from some space of seeing like okay this is needed i want to fill this gap there's something about that that calls to me um tell us about your birth experience um honestly going from the mindset of preparing for a home birth i bought everything and i was just like i just knew i'm gonna have a home birth um so around 36 weeks um, from, so from the time I was 22 weeks 
up until 38 weeks, I had an ultrasound every other week. And that was because she was measuring, I think, um, one or two pounds lower in weight from what she should have been measuring. So I had to get ultrasounds every other week for that up to 38 weeks, around 36 weeks. I started to leak amniotic fluid. Um, and then 37 weeks, it went back up a little bit, 38 weeks and dropped really low. So then we had to do an induction. Um, so I went into the hospital Staff was amazing. So it really it, I really didn't have like a traumatizing experience or anything like that. So staff was amazing. Um they even complimented me which I did not expect to happen. <laughs> but um during my birth for the most part um I got induced at I want to say it was at like 12 something. They gave me Cervidil um, to help them, uh, to help them, my cervix, because I wasn't dilated at all. And then once I got dilated, they gave me Pitocin. So from, I want to say from three up until five 30 that morning, um, apparently I was having strong contractions with the Pitocin, but I didn't feel any like gradual pains or anything like that. Um, at five 30, she, my, the doctor broke my water and um i want to say immediately after she broke my water i just had excruciating pain so there was no build up like i was not prepared for that pain shift so i probably went from like a 0 with pain to i want to say a 15 and i couldn't sit i couldn't get comfortable um they had they gave me the um the birthing ball but when I had a contraction that was very uncomfortable to sit on. And so the only position that really relieved, relieved me from my pain was on all fours doing the cat dog. Um, so that helped me whenever I had a contraction. The goal was to go without an epidural. Um, but after like an hour and a half, I was just like, yo, I need an epidural because <laughs> I can't sit. I can't do anything. Like I can't breathe. Um, and so they gave me an epidural, but during the epidural, they were just like, you have to breathe because, you know, I have to be able to, you know, do this perfectly. So, um, they did me with coaching, with breathing and everything like that. So, um, after the epidural, I was in heaven. I went to sleep. I still got to labor how I wanted to labor. So I still was able to lay on my sides if I wanted to. I just needed help um, getting turned since I was numb from the waist down. So they just helped me turn whenever I wanted to turn and just keep baby um, on the monitor. And um, at around 10, she was like, you're at nine and a half centimeters. Do you want to try to push to get to 10 centimeters or you want to just let it go naturally? Um, so I started pushing. I had called my midwife. She was able to come up there. So I was allowed to still have her there with me. So she came up there and she coached me through pushing and everything like that. So after about, I want to say an hour, 40, 40 minutes to an hour, um, McKenna was stuck in the in the birth canal, I want to say. And so um, 
her heart rate started dropping. So they were like, we can have two options. She's right there. You're crowning. Um, but she just isn't making any, like she's not moving or progressing down. So we can do a vacuum forceps, or we can push her back up into a C-section. And I immediately was like, y'all not pushing her back up there. We're not doing a C-section. So, um, can you tell me the, um, like the pros and cons of vacuum versus forceps? Doctor did a great job at explaining the difference between the forceps and the vacuum and what could be, um, more safe. So we end up doing the forceps. Um, thank God I had the epidural because I think I would have been screaming in pain and I would have just told them, Hey, can we just try to get her out the way she is? <laughs> um, so, um, they did the forceps. Um, she came out head down, but she was face up. So that's why she had a hard time coming through. Um, so once she came out, she didn't really cry. So I was really nervous about that because I didn't hear her cry at all. And her dad was just like, I was like, why is she crying? He's like, she's okay. She's breathing. She's just looking at everybody. And I'm just like, what the heck kind of baby did I give birth to? And then after that, she made a little sound. And then he said, she just went back to staring at everybody and was like, what the heck? And so then after that, um, they stitched me up. He walked past and was just like, he almost fainted because, um, he said I was ripped like it looked like a tiger just ripped through me. And I was just like, mm, that's good to know about down there in that space. And when he said that, I was like, well, at least I didn't poop on myself. And all the doctors and nurses and my midwife got quiet and they were like, um, you kind of did just a little bit. And I was like, oh, well, thank you guys for letting me know. I wish they would have lied to me, but hey, it's okay. Um, I was so proud of myself because I thought I didn't do that. But then they were like, mm, sorry to say you did. And then um, after that, I um, got to latch latch her on for breastfeeding. And um, then we got moved to the postpartum area. So then we got moved into that area of the hospital. And um, I was still able to have two guests. So if my midwife wanted to come up, she could still come up. And then her dad was still able to um, come and go as he pleased and everything like that. For the most part, the recovery after was pretty good. Um, I had a little trouble with walking and getting up out of, get, like getting back and forth up out of the bed. It was a lot of pain and a lot of tension down there, I guess, just due to the forceps. But other than that... Um, it really wasn't bad. They let me sleep majority of the time. Um, and they gave me information about their protocols and stuff like that. And what I would need to do after I got out of the hospital, which I really wasn't prepared for because I didn't know all of those things, but delivery for the most part was good. I would say. I like how you advocated for yourself. Um, and wanting to know more information, right? Instead of saying, okay, a C-section or okay, this or like, pause, right? Um, tell me more. We know we're not, like it's something we need to address sooner than later, but we have time to talk about this, talk through it, and I can make a, an informed decision about it, right? And that they were respectful and that they, that you felt supportive. Like you went from this experience with your midwife where you had been feeling informed and supported 
and then being able to shift and transfer to the hospital um, setting and not feel like um, the world kind of caved in on you. What was your postpartum experience? That um, is still happening and it has been the most uh, challenging thing I've ever went through. Um, I didn't really cry a lot during pregnancy or anything like that. I've cried the most during my postpartum journey um, only because my so me and my mom had a talk the other day and she was just like um you can I could correct her if I was if she was wrong and everything like that but she was just like you know you're an emotional eater you eat when you're stressed you eat when you're upset everything like that um and she was like I honestly think that McKenna saved you because the time when you found out you were pregnant you were you were about to go back into a depression and she was like, I just think that McKenna has saved you. Um, even during postpartum, postpartum has not been easy one because, um, like I said, we do this without like a real like family support system being in the same city and state as us. Um, we're probably about four to five hours away from everybody. So, and that's on both sides, my side and his side. They're um, a good four or five hours away from us. So trying to balance school with having a newborn and going to classes um, was really, really hard. Majority of the time, I feel like um, I'm failing her. I feel like I'm failing her, but I also feel like in some way I'm failing myself too because um, before getting pregnant and everything like that, I took care of myself, got my hair done regularly, nails, you know, the whole shebang. Um was eating, working out good, like after going through postpartum, for the most part, I had a longer recovery because of the forceps. So during the six weeks, like after the six weeks, I tried to work out again, but um, running caused a lot of pain and tension down there. So I couldn't do that. Even walking for long periods of time caused um, tension down there still and it would cause pain so you know I would really try to take it um, do light workouts but it would just cause too much pain so I was just like let me give myself time to actually heal and then try to work out but during that time I was going through school was going through a lot of um, critiques with professors and I know that they were just like, you know, have a support system. But in some way, shape or form, I always felt like I was being judged because I'm one, probably one of one of two only African-American students in the program. And then on top of that, I was entering in the program pregnant. Um, so I think just that adjustment was very, very hard. Um, during postpartum, I started like my healing journey. So just healing from past traumas and forgiving people, setting boundaries, um, learning how to say no, learning to put myself first, um, even with her, you know, majority of the time she comes first and then I I come second. But trying to make sure that I have that balance has been, um, it's been a lot of unlearning and relearning things in postpartum. So, um, I've cried a lot. 
I've doubted a lot, um, but then at the same time, I've also tried to be um, positive and everything like that. Like um, just yesterday, I found a letter I wrote to myself in 2018, and I was just like, "Ooh, the growth of from 2018 till now, even with even with having her, I think has been really important on my postpartum." journey and I've I've just learned during this process to give myself grace like a lot of grace because um I had planned to breastfeed her up until she started growing teeth because that was my cutoff I was just like you know you're not gonna be biting me and pulling at me when you have your teeth in um so that didn't go as planned so um I took that hard too because I stopped breastfeeding her at four months because she just wasn't latching on. Um, she had a high palate, but then I also think that she has a lip tie too, so it kind of affected how she breastfed. But it was just a hard process to kind of go from okay, I want to breastfeed her to not being able to breastfeed her, and I felt like I wasn't giving her everything that she needed. So um, I took that hard too, but. Um, for the most part, I think I'm just learning to give myself grace do, through this process because I'm a first-time mom. And, you know, um, I think I'm just learning as I go. So um, postpartum is hard. It's not peaches and creams and rainbows, but it's it's a learning process that um, it's a learning curve that I'm just going through right now, even currently with um, picking back up to work out um, and everything like that. Like I had a hard time accepting that um, I wasn't taking care of myself properly. And so I've gained a lot of weight. Um, and so now it's just like, you know, okay, you got to get it back. So you're starting to do that. So don't be so hard on yourself. And for the most part, honestly, for her first year, I really don't have any professional pictures of us or anything except for recently, like recently, I just started feeling comfortable with taking pictures with her and, you know, accepting how I look like even on camera, because it's just like, you know, you're starting to develop those habits to change and get yourself in a better, in a better healthy state. So um, I really didn't have any pictures with her, with me and her. I take a lot of pictures with pictures with her and her dad and her by herself but as far as me and her I don't really have a lot of pictures just because I did not like the way that I looked and I felt very shameful for um gaining as much weight as I did after postpartum and so now I'm, I think now I'm in the state where since I'm making the the changes I know it's not going to happen overnight so I just try to um remind myself that it's okay to feel the guilt, feel the shame, feel the pain, cry it out, but don't suck in it too long and get back up and, and keep going. So a couple of things. Postpartum is forever. And you happen to be on the one year part of your postpartum. Um, She's over here just <laughs> talk, talking to y'all. Like, Affirming her mama. <laughs> um. That it can take up to a year or two to feel somewhat, for the most part, healed physically and mentally from giving birth, right? Um, giving birth, no matter what that 
looks like what your experience is, it is a, it's a full consuming experience that just, um, that takes time. Um, and we live in a society that doesn't allow us the time and space that we need to really focus in on all of that. Right. Um, and so I love that you said that you're giving yourself grace and I hope you continue to give yourself grace because you're in one part of your full postpartum journey. Um, and yeah, this is just one part, one layer. Um, and every new milestone that she goes through, every new um, milestone you go through, you're you're going to need to ebb and flow and ebb and flow through, and they're all going to be different. Um, but you're a great mom. Thanks. Yeah, I'm. I'm learning. She has taught me a lot. I've always had patience. Um, so I thought. But um, she has really taught me about patience, about, um, you know, it's okay to not kind of know what you're doing um, because we just be winging this thing. Like, um, I've been an auntie for as long as I can remember, and it is completely different from being an auntie to having your own, like, and I'm just like, um... I ask my sisters all the time. I don't see how y'all do it. I've always wanted twins. And I was like, God laughed at me because he knew I could only handle one. <laughs> and um, I'm glad he gave me that one. Because if I would have had twins, I would have been like, okay, can one of y'all take one and I take the other? And then we meet back up, you know, so we can do this thing together. But, um, yeah, I'm so... This has been an experience that um, I hope that other women, you know, get to experience, even if they do not or are not capable of um, physically caring their babe, like their children. I still hope that they get to experience, if they want to, that they get to experience the joys of just being a mom and learning more about you. I think I've learned more about myself during becoming a mother than I've learned without having kids. And um, I don't think I would trade that experience. Like, you know, I always said I wanted a big old family, like four or five kids. I think I probably want another one and then I'm done. Um, because just four to five kids, I don't know if my patients can stretch that thin. Um, but at the but at the same time, I'm open to however many kids um I can pop out. Um, so we never know. Yeah, that's also beautifully stated. Um it's like a little mini TED talk on postpartum. And so there's so many layers to it and people really do have the expectations of okay, I'm gonna be me plus a baby. And it's really not, you're not even the same me. Like it's like, <laughs> and, it, and don't think that it's like the like lesser version of you. And that's the, I think part of the mental problem with it too is like, oh, I can't think the way I used to and I can't come up with X, Y, and Z the way I used to or make time to do the things I used to do. Um, but you're a more heightened 
version of yourself with this new life to keep alive. I mean, it's like, <laughs> that's just different. <laughs> Before it was you and you have control over your actions. These little people do all kinds of stuff. And you're like, are you really going to make this? You just, you just going to do that? Like, oh, okay. You just jump off of anything. Oh, now you can walk and crawl and you want to put anything in your mouth. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm telling you because at three months, I'm like, you know, I, I have a, a little time to prepare before she starts rolling over. No, this girl at three to four months, I put her up at the top of the bed. I'm like, okay, she's going to be cool. I got the pillow, you know, I got the pillow protecting her everything like that like and i'm just like let me go throw this bottle in the sink really quick no i come back she's almost at the edge of the bed i'm like when did you learn how to roll like what was when was this a thing now you get now you know how to roll now i have to put you in the um there you go i have to put you in the um <laughs> i have to put her in the i had to put her in the uh swing thing which she didn't like standing that but i'm just like hey we got to get this work done so you're either gonna sit in the swing thing or you're gonna be strapped around me i'm so glad that my sister and i think somebody else gave me the um i don't know what they're called but the body wrap arounds where you could just sit her in oh we were best friends i put her in there be doing laundry washing dishes and she'd just be snug sleeping i'm just like all right we got this we got this is there anything else that you want to share with our community, whether it be resources or advice? I know you've shared a lot already, but you might have something else to add. The only other things that I would say is, um, yeah, girl, mm-hmm. is, <laughs> is follow, follow, Okay, I'm about to tell them, girl. It's follow your heart. So if you want to get that doula, get that interview as many doulas as you want to, as you need to interview until you find that perfect one. If you want to do a midwife interview, that interview the midwife says, you know, until you find the perfect one that you want to, um, that you want to go into labor with. I think it's very important that just as much as you build your like your family support system, you build your healthcare support system because a lot of a lot of us think that, okay, I you know, if I have this doctor, then it has to be the way the doctor says it or how they say it. And that's really not the case. Like this is your birth, it's your pregnancy. You want to walk away with ultimately no regrets. So they work for you ultimately. So whatever it is that you want to do, they have to listen to you because you know your body better than anybody else and nobody can tell you well this is happening because your body is da 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 like it's important for people to understand that they can choose to switch providers even at the very end you can choose to say hey i don't want to work with you no more and that's perfectly fine i'm choosing to go with this obgyn or this midwife and you know they they can't do really anything about it but accept it um so that's one thing that i would tell people and also um when you do find out you're pregnant i know we want to i know we want to read all the books and everything like that but realistically realistically we don't read the books um because we're really just trying to prepare for our babies so 
um really bask in that moment of preparing for your baby and uh spending as much time as you can with with yourself or with your spouse or your partner and loving on each other and um making sure they know like hey this is what I want during my birth so if I'm not able to speak for myself or at any point I can't advocate for myself this is what I want you to you know be able to do um and I think that would be it also um learn about what's in your community as far as resources for birthing and stuff like that I think that's also helpful um if they have pantries for new moms mentorship programs for new mothers like um or even veteran moms who've been in the game and you know getting back into it like I think it's it'll it's cool to kind of learn what other resources they have for you to build up your your village or your tribe or your community all of it Thank you, thank you, thank you. Both of y'all for your input. Baby girl will not be coming up unheard, okay? She said I came to the show too. All the time, every time she sees somebody in the camera, she's just like, I'm like, do your thing, girl. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we just um, appreciate you sharing today. We send you love on this postpartum journey. I, I thank you guys for this platform because, like, it's needed. It is It is really, really needed. And um, I think that sharing our stories because we don't really have a space where we can do that. And I think that's important. So I just thank you guys for doing what it is that you do and even thinking of this as a platform for, you know, women to come on and express and share what they've been through thank you thanks for listening to birth stories in color to hear this show and other episodes head to birthstoriesincolor.com hi it's danielle one of your co-hosts of birth stories in color we want to share our deepest gratitude to you for honoring this platform and the community stories currently we are in a campaign to raise funds to continue our work Birth Stories in Color grew from a shared experience at a doulas of color training. We quickly realized that women of color felt liberated to speak their truth, and we wanted a space to honor the art of storytelling and the voices of families of color. We are Black women, Black mothers, and Black birth workers. Our ability to hold space for our storytellers comes from our direct experiences, understanding the layers of those experiences and how they may show up for our guests. Over the past six years, Birth Stories in Color has been predominantly self-funded with occasional sponsorship support. As we examine our future, we know that to help strengthen it, we must reach out for additional support. Funds raised from this campaign will support the cost of recording, producing, promoting, and transcribing Birth Stories in Color. The funds we raise will help us expand our reach as well as we begin to channel the work of the podcast to in-person opportunities to educate and inform families as they enter parenthood. You can find our campaign at ifundwomen.com. That's I-F-U-N-D-W-O-M-E-N.com. You can also find a link to our campaign on our Birth Stories in Color website at birthstoriesincolor.com. Thank you again.